Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. The January 6th committee had a busy week. The committee is speaking with former Attorney General Bill Barr, requesting an interview with Ivanka Trump, and issuing subpoenas to Trump lawyers, including Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, and Sidney Powell. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court rejected Donald Trump's last-ditch effort to block the release of documents to the committee. The committee has already received over 700 pages of Trump White House documents relating to January 6th and the 2020 election, and they reportedly include a draft executive order to seize voting machines and appoint a special counsel to probe the 2020 election. In other news, two separate investigations into Trump are ramping up, one in New York State focused on his business dealings, and another in Georgia focused on his alleged election interference. Preet Bharara and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com insider. That's cafe.com insider. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. You know, I think Bill Barr is a good place to start. Barr has managed to sort of sit outside of the limelight for the last couple of weeks, but he has a book to sell in oh, the next gosh. few weeks, doesn't Let's he? Let's not mention his book. But what I liked was, I think there was a news report on Twitter about Bill Barr's upcoming book, and lickety-split, true to form, our friend Ellie Honig replied, <laughs> said, I have an alternative for you, which was, of course, his book, Hatchet Man, Unauthorized biography of Bill Barr, <laughs> in, a, in a way. <laughs> but the weird thing about Bill Barr coming up was, and maybe I missed something, Benny Thompson, the chairman of the 1-6 committee, was doing an interview talking about the work of the committee, and I think was asked a question about Bill Barr, and in response to that question, he said, oh, we, we've talked to Bill Barr a number of times. To be honest with you, we've had conversations with the former attorney general already, you may have seen something more detailed than I saw. It's not clear to me that Bill Barr has testified, is it? It's not, and I think this is exactly the right place to start. You know, you and I have both had this experience as prosecutors. Just because a potential witness comes in and has a few conversations with you doesn't mean that they're testifying truthfully. Someone can come in and have a conversation with you where they say, I don't recall a whole lot or where they tell you, I think that information is privileged and I'm not going to respond to any of your questions. So I didn't think that this meant that Barr was sitting down and, and giving the committee chapter and verse. Yeah, I mean, I thought it might even mean, because it, it was so offhanded, the comment by Thompson, that maybe they've had preliminary conversations about sitting up an interview or maybe he's provided some documents and it's more informal at the stage. So, so we don't know, but... Based on what Benny Thompson is saying, it sounds like Bill Barr is at least at this moment, and this is always subject to change, at least at this moment, is in a cooperative posture. That's not crazy surprising, right? Because his deputies who ended up taking over when Bill Barr left in December of 2020, we do know have come into the committee's offices and testified at great length and did not assert privilege if the reporting is to be believed. Bill Barr left a little bit you know, what's the phrase you would use? Did he leave in a huff? Well, you know, it's interesting. He left on a timeline that bumps into one of this week's other big stories. And I think he left precipitously is the way that I would Not enough. That's a, that's a nicer way of saying in a huff. 
<laughs> it's like <laughs> I'm not sure that it was in you a. You wanted I mean, to use a I'm bigger word ready, than huff. I'm not yet ready to paint Bill Barr as a hero. There's some possibility. Oh, do you think that huff? Do you think huff and, implies heroism? Maybe. I didn't well, mean I it to. Huff sort of says he was he was mad and upset, so he left. Maybe I'm misreading. Look, I, I frequently get the meanings of words and phrases wrong, so <laughs> sure I'm wrong. But do, do you think? Okay, let's just one more thing about Bill Barr, and then we'll move on to some of this other stuff. How helpful or interesting or material do you think Bill Barr's testimony would be? Barr's testimony, if he decided to be truthful, I think would be enormously helpful, but. I'm not convinced that the guy who shilled for Trump on the Mueller report has the truth in him. And so I guess I would have to be made a believer. But here's the timeline. Barr leaves right at the time one of our other big stories, this draft executive order, never signed by Trump, but an order that would have authorized seizure of voting equipment and and some other stuff like possibly appointing Sidney Powell as the special interrogator to look into the 2020 election. How can you even say that without retching? <laughs> Honest to God, I mean, this this is a week where if the news doesn't make you sick, you're not reading it hard enough. But Barr leaves when that whole scheme is in circulation. And he leaves after giving a public statement where he says there wasn't fraud in the election. There's no reason to seize the machines or to appoint a special counsel. So his departure seems to time up with this memo that we've just learned about because it's one of the documents in that tranche of documents the Supreme Court just ordered release of. So, you know, either Bill Barr prevented Trump from using DOJ to seize the machines and yay Bill Barr or he looked at all of that stuff and said, oh, this is heading into criminal territory fast. It's time for Bill Barr to leave. Yeah, he said, I'm Audi. Or, as you would put it, I shall leave precipitously. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Bill Barr. That's something he I'm would like, say. I'm like, huff, left in a huff, I'm Audi, left precipitously. <laughs> I have a couple of things to say about Barr. So, is one thing that he might be attempting to do, given the timing of his departure and giving that even he had some limit at some point, in the arc of the Trump presidency, that he's engaged in the kind of thing that some other people are engaged in, which is reputation laundering. Now he wants to go back to being a mainstream guy. (laughs) So I think that's part of it, why he would maybe want to come forward and put even more distance between him and Trump for the history books. That memo, so I'm I'm going to just play devil's advocate for a moment about that memo. I'm not saying I necessarily believe this, but you know, there are some people who suggest that memo whose language is just absolutely bonkers, and we should actually quote from it. People haven't seen some of the actual language about the seizure uh, by the military of voting machines and all sorts of other allegations that are completely unfounded. But as you say, it wasn't signed. It's not clear to whom it was distributed, how far it went. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that Sidney Powell had some role in drafting it, that it was people outside the White House, many of whom were just insane, maybe not medically diagnosed, but in my parlance, insane, like the Kraken lawyers. And so just because some insane people outside of the White House threw some Hail Mary pass and drafted this crazy document that is completely un-American and against the rule of law, how much of that can be blamed on Trump? I think that's exactly the right question to be asking. Who wrote this and how much circulation did it get? I mean, the only reason that we know about it is because it came to light in a group of White House official materials. 
So that's interesting. Right. So that means we know it went to the White House, right? We know that whether or not Bill Barr actually saw it, he was aware that some sort of plan was in the works because he responded directly to its two key provisions, saying that there's no need to seize the machines, no need for a special counsel. That was what led him to say that there was no fraud in the election. And that's how this draft executive order is phrased. It lays out essentially the big lie as a justification for doing this. So Barr ties up with it pretty good. And it's also very interesting that on this same timeline, all 10 of the living former secretaries of defense wrote jointly in the Washington Post admonishing the acting secretary of defense, Chris Miller, by name from interfering in the election. So lots of reason to believe this was in circulation. I haven't seen anything that suggests that Trump definitively saw this or considered this. He never signed it. We should be very careful about defining what a possible conspiracy here might look like and who would be involved. Yeah, I mean, we do know that Trump did things like call an official in Georgia and say, find me 11,870 votes, right? <laughs> There's plenty of stuff that we do know definitively, and hopefully the 1-6 committee will get at other stuff. But the thing you're talking about that apparently these former defense secretaries and others may have been responding to was that the order empowered the defense secretary, and it's significant that that's who it empowered, to, quote, seize, collect, retain, and analyze all machines, equipment, electronically stored information, and material records required for retention under, you know, a particular law that related to the preservation of election records, which is astonishing for, among other reasons, there is a longstanding principle of American law that the U.S. military is not supposed to be engaged in domestic law enforcement operations, which this would be an example of. It's one of my favorite phrases. What's that doctrine called? I think we probably pronounce it differently. Posse comitatus. Posse comitatus. I think we do pronounce that the same. That's the first for us. Yeah. How important a doctrine is that, Joyce? It's really important. It's one of the first things that I learned about as a prosecutor. And it's not just that there's a prohibition against military interference with law enforcement in the U.S. There are actually criminal prohibitions against members of the military intervening in, for instance, deciding which election ballots would get counted. So this is a, a really deep principle. And it's weird, I think, in my judgment, that the executive order talks about DOD. DOJ would be a much more logical fit for seizing ballots. I mean, <laughs> Although they shouldn't have been seizing. Nobody should have been seizing anything. <laughs> Nobody should have been seizing anything. If I was going to write a conspiracy to interfere with the election, I'd do it through DOJ. That's what makes me think a little bit that perhaps Bill Barr or, or maybe his successor, the acting attorney general, Jeffrey Rosen, maybe they stood up and said, not at DOJ. Because you know what Trump did after the election and after it was clear he lost was he stacked the deck at the Pentagon. He put in an acting secretary of defense who many people complained at the time did not have the experience commensurate with the secretary's job. He put Cash Patel straight out of Devin Nunez's shop in as the chief of staff at the Pentagon and replaced some of the undersecretaries in, in key positions. So we see this really weird, like, who takes a job after your, you know, boss has lost the election? This whole shifting of characters is really weird and I think understood in the context of this memo. 
And that perhaps suggests that we need to find out just how far this draft executive order was circulated. I think that's a great point, you know, that I haven't focused on enough until you mentioned it just now. It's not just the communications that are taking place. It's not just the things that are being drafted, but the shifting personnel, you know, the old guard out and new people who should have only expected to be serving for a few more days or weeks. Why are they so excited about serving in those positions? Maybe they think they're going to serve longer because they're all engaged in one or another conspiracy to turn the election around. Now, one of the reasons we think that Sidney Powell may have had something to do with it, and this is speculation, but it's not crazy speculation, because the draft executive order called for the appointment of a special counsel, which you mentioned before, to oversee this operation, institute all criminal and civil proceedings as appropriate based on the evidence collected and provided all resources necessary to carry out her duties consistent with federal laws and the Constitution. And some observers have speculated that the use of the feminine pronoun her means something. It's not just generic because Sidney Powell had something to do with this. And to remind folks, Sidney Powell is one of the Kraken lawyers who has been very seriously sanctioned by a federal district court judge in the Eastern District of Michigan for, among other things, bringing frivolous lawsuits, none of which, I think none of her lawsuits ever saw success. And this is a person that still had the ear of the president at a fairly late date. You know, Powell's lawyer has recently suggested that she still believes that there was fraud, fraud against Donald Trump in the 2020 election. And although you're right, it's not clear that she wrote the document sloppy drafting aside, it's consistent, the entire draft executive order, with some proposals that she is reported to have made during a meeting that she attended in the White House on December 18th that also included Mike Flynn and, and some of the other of Trump's little spurious cast of characters. <laughs> What's interesting about Mike Flynn being there, and this is inside baseball stuff, but the memo, the draft executive order, reflects the existence of some NSPMs, National Security Presidential Memos. And at least one of them is not something that was publicly known to exist. And so it's possible, and this is speculation, that this is something that Powell could have learned about from Flynn, who likely would have been aware of the existence of this NSPM. You know, the point is, there's plenty of smoke to investigate here. And, and somebody, not just the January 6th committee, but maybe with someone with prosecutorial ambit to take a look at a criminal conspiracy ought to be looking at this too. That's a good segue in talking about Sidney Powell to talk about another set of subpoenas that's been issued by the 1-6 committee to four lawyers, Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, Boris Epstein, and one. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.